Helen Leaf and Ananiya Wikaira are both Uri, or descendants, of Captain Hardin Waipuke Leaf, who fought in the First World War at Gallipoli and in World War II, where he was killed in action in Crete. Ananiya Wikaira, the great-grandnephew of Leaf from the Hapu to Hikutu in Firinaki, recalls the local traditions of training the boys up before they went overseas. Now, this happened at their local marae. Whangarei-based Radio New Zealand national reporter Lois Williams sits down with both Ananiya and Helen to learn more about their kroiwa. Do you remember your grandfather? No, he was killed before I was born. He was killed in Crete in, in uh, 1941, 22nd of May, 1941, in the Battle of Malemi. Mm. So we have only got the recorded and the, and the verbal history of um, Harding, basically. So he still lies in Crete? Mm. You've been there? No, I haven't. Mm. Um, I haven't been there. Um, I'm hoping to go next year. There's a pilgrimage to Crete next year, mm. and I'm hoping to go next year. But he, he had an extraordinary career, didn't he? I mean, starting in, in World War One, he was at Gallipoli. Can mm. you tell me a bit about that? Uh, we've got a CD actually that we put out in 2006 which I'll give you to get a bit of background on um, some of his um, escapades but yes he went away in um, oh, I can't remember the, the exact date but he he went into the went with the New Zealand Expeditionary Force um, and he did go to Gallipoli I think he served about four years or something overseas mm. During that time, he was um, got the um, military cross for bravery. Mm. Do you know what he did in that time? What is the story that's told about what he did in the Antarctic battle? Well, he um, he um, apparently led his men through through really difficult terrain and the ra- rain and and thunder and goodness knows what, and um, destroyed some sort of a wiring party. For that, yeah, he, he was awarded the military cross. And, um, yeah, there's some stories about him going to Britain. Didn't he near went to Britain to be presented with this military cross, and um, which was, was a huge thing for those guys in those days, I presume, by the king. And um, went into the hotel afterwards, one of the upmarket London hotels, and um, somebody stood up and said it didn't know what the world was coming to when they let black niggers come into the into this hotel. Apparently um, he and his cohorts <laughs> dealt to everybody that was in there and cleaned out the pub and went on their merry way. So that's the sort of yeah, that's the sort of person he was. He was uh, meant to be a great warrior and um, didn't take no for an answer because when it came to World War Two, he decided he was going to go away, and he um, wrote to the army and said that his son couldn't go because he was only 17 or 18 or something, and so he he told the army that no way was his son going, so he was going in his place, and um, so he went to and enlist and um, they said no he's too old you're too old and um, how old was he he's 49 
there's, there's some recorded information about the fact that they were too scared to send him home because all of Ngāpuhi would have gone home with him, so they let him go. And the other thing was that Ananir will tell you about the other thing that he ch challenged the, um, the army and the government about. What was that, Ananir? He changed the name of the Mary Battalion to H. Mary Battalion. Yeah. Oh, what's the story behind that? He went, the, the, it said that the Maoris went dead, not to fight for the king, but to fight for their land. In, in Haring Lake, he was the chairman of, of Napui for of the Taumata Kaumatu. At the time, yes, when he came back from the first war, he became chairman of the Taumata Kaumatu. And, and that's all they did. Every year on the 28th of uh, October, they go to Waitangi to set the laws for Modi. Uh, that's the Whakamininga? The Whakamininga and the Whakaputanga, yeah. It still happens to this day. That's right. Mm. So he was the one that instigated the changing of the name to the 28th Māori Battalion. Ah, so that's why it's called 28 Māori Battalion. Mm. Because I always wonder what happened to the other 27. Because <laughs> <laughs> the 28th of October, of course. And what, yeah. Did you hear lots of stories about his daring do when you were a boy? Yes, but I talk about how they left. How they left? How they left very lucky. You know, in the First World War, they were, in the Second World War, they were taken to Malay and Fidinaki, all the young men that were going to to battle. And they stayed there for one whole week prior to their leaving with their family on Mori and Malay. And on the last day, the day before they were, the, the day they left, the morning they left, they were taken to, we call it the testing rock, and it's called Opopo, that's the name of the rock, where they were, to, where they were taken down just before the sun rose, and they were taken to this rock, and they were blindfolded and turned, spun around, made to turn around and around and around, so they lose their bearings of where they are, and made to jump into the water. So they do that to each and every one of them. If they jumped in and they came up facing east to the sun, they would return. If they came up not facing the sun, they knew they weren't going to return from battle. And then when they finished that, they take them up to the top of the hill and they line up in these two lines. The ones that weren't returning and the ones that were returning. And they'd march from this statistic rock back to Moria Malaya where their families were waiting, where they'd be called back into the Malaya. And when they were called back in, the people could see, they knew the, the ones on the left hand side of the Malaya were returning, the ones on the right hand weren't. As soon as they got to the door, they screaming, the kids, the women, the people were screaming because they knew that the ones on the right hand side weren't screaming. And of course, um, one of my uncles, in, in Uncle to Helen, his name was Gordon uh, Leaf, he said he was sitting on the side where, with, with the ones that were returning, and he was looking in, at his uncle and his brothers and his cousins on the other side, and he, and he broke down and he was crying. Uh, you know, because there's him going to return, and 
his uncles and, and, and brothers weren't re returning. And did that prophecy prove to be accurate? Oh yes, it proved. Because the ones that went to the First World War were done the same way. And they came back. The ones that were on the right, left hand side, they came back. Harding Leaf was one of them. But when he, the Second World War, Harding Leaf was on the opposite side. He never returned. So. <laughs> How hard must it have been going to war knowing that? It well, is... you know, the, 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 the thing that really. They had a choice whether to go or stay. Ah. Yeah. They had their choice, but not one of them turned that to, you know, they all went. And all the ones that were on the opposite side of the Malay, they never returned. You know, and it might sound like a, a, a fable, but it's, it's, and I tell this story every, every insect day, because we have our insect day, and just to remind the, pe the people of what our, ancestors went through and how brave they were. You know, Helen was saying he was 49, he was 54. Was he? He was 52. 50. He lied about his age at the no, age. No, no, they knew. That's why they wouldn't let him go. They uh -huh. sent him back. So he went to them and said, I'm 49, I want to go to work. Oh, he, he signed up. He signed up and he, he was the one that trained them down in, in, in Taranaki. On the, he trained them and when it came to go, they said, uh, no, you can't go, you're too old. So Harding Leaf went home to, to his wife and his, and his family. And then Napui and, and, and the East Coast started pulling out. They didn't want to go unless Harding Leaf left, uh, you know, led them. So they came to ask Harding Leaf. And there was two things he asked for. One was to take his dog, Tiger, as the mascot. And, and the other was to change the battalion to the 28th Māori Battalion. So, what were the effects of the war? Well, for many descendants today, the story is familiar. Our men simply did not talk about it. But for some families, as you'll hear from Helen and Ananiya, the hurt, pain, anger was expressed through violence, alcoholism, and keeping their distance from loved ones. The men had been through such a shocking time, I guess, and they didn't, they didn't divulge it, they didn't talk about it. Yeah, Auntie Lucy said it was a really lonely time, so they used to go and get together quite frequently. And in those days, of course, there was hardly any vehicles. There was only the odd vehicle in the valley, only a couple of them probably. And, um, and Auntie Lucy said it was really lonely because they used to go away together from one place to another, probably to each other's homes or whatever. And, um, for days, weeks at a time? Yeah, for ages, yeah, ages at a time. And um, she said she get, she got the, you know, she used to think that maybe that they were just talking about their, what had happened to them and how bad it had been. But that camaraderie, they sort of like really needed that because they had nobody to, to debrief them and and do any counselling or anything like that. Um, I know my dad wouldn't, he didn't talk about, he didn't even talk about his father to us very much at all. You know, so the the woman carried the load and the, peop, and the very few men that were left, you know. Ihua, 
some men that were left and they carried the whole load of the whole valley by um, doing the gardens, the looking after, making sure the children were okay, running all the marae, running all the, the tangi, everything that went on, um, they took care of it. Um, while these men were away gallivanting around the countryside, so we thought, but apparently they, um, it was almost like they couldn't fit back into their own society. Mm. So We're trying to come to tragedy, terms with... yeah, mm. such a tragedy. And we hear a lot about how men who go to war don't talk about to their mm. families, and everyone's sort of slightly disapproving about this. But it may be that they were trying to spare their families. The, well, the you know, like I know the Nathan boys talk about it on the CD about the horrors of war and um, how, because their dad was my grandfather's um, Batman and they said that their dad used to say, you know, like, we don't want to talk about the horrors of the war. But um, the boys used to say to him, you know, what, why did you two have such an affinity? Because they were together all the time. And um, he used to say, oh, I don't know. I suppose because we were, you know, killers, basically. And um, they'd say, what do you mean killers? He goes, we were killers. We just killed everything in front of us, basically. And so they had that sort of probably camaraderie because if they didn't, if they weren't killing, then they would be killed. What a horrifying experience to, to go through when when at home you were brought up in a, you know, in a community where people were loving and supportive of each other, and then you go away and you have to front up to that. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, probably a lot of hurt still being carried by those generations, you know, that came after. You know, the women often talked about that the men were never there when they got home. They were just never there. Didn't want to be around their families or to give them any of that, those vibes, I guess. Mm. They felt they'd been changed and they couldn't change back. Yeah, they couldn't change back. We don't again. have rituals for that, do we? No. Except drinking? Yeah, well, they, they probably that's where the, the alcohol helped them through or, or made them even worse, probably. But Dead in some of the memories. Yeah, yeah, some of them were, so, um, yeah. So children would have found their, their fathers perhaps rather distant. People. Really distant and... Yeah. and um, yeah, and, and distant and abusive. They were cruel. Yeah. These men? The men that came back from war, they were cruel. They beat their wives, they beat their children. And, uh, and, and of course the alcohol had come into the valleys by then, you know. The alcohol had come into the valleys and our people tried to assimilate, I suppose, in, in, in a way, into being... Well, they weren't allowed to have alcohol, first of all, and then once they were, there was a lot of alcohol and consumed, and of course, yeah, mm. destruction, real, total destruction, really. Do you remember your mothers or aunts being beaten there? My uncle from Fidinaki, I saw it. I saw what he did to my, to my auntie and my cousins, you know. Mm. But, you know, when you hear them talking about him, he was a kind, loving man, you know. In saying that, he was a, a, a kind, loving man, but when he lost his temper, he was, a, you know, jackal in height. He went from one to the opposite. And, and those are things we lock away 
and don't want to talk about. There's nothing noble about war, really, is there? No. Not, no. not when it does that waste. to people. No, you know. Shocking waste. Mm. Yeah. They came back damaged, didn't they? They came back damaged and they died damaged. They still had that pain. That's why they don't want to talk about the war. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to talk about. But if they talk about the war, uh, I guarantee that things will lift off them. You know, because when you talk about it, you heal yourself, don't you? Mm-hmm. When you keep it blocked up. These men weren't like this before they went away. Oh no, 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 no they weren't. Ananiya Wikaira, the great-grand nephew, and Helen Leaf, the granddaughter of Captain Hardin Waipoke Leaf of the Hikutu in Whirinaki, the far north. He mihiti nei kia korua tahi. Nā korua i tukua mai tau nā koha kia mātou. And a special thank you to Lois Williams, Radio New Zealand Whangarei-based reporter.